Student robotics competitions are adapting and evolving. Next on the K-12 Engineering Education Podcast. I'm Pius Wong in Austin, Texas. The Robotics Education and Competition Foundation, or REC Foundation, is best known for running VEX robotics competitions every year, with schools across the country and across the globe. I spoke with the CEO of the REC Foundation, Dan Mance, about several of their educational programs, including their competitions. Dan explained how they had to adjust to the new realities of today. All right. So Dan Mance, officially welcome to the K-12 Engineering Education Podcast. I appreciate you taking the time out. And actually, I just wanted to start off just giving you a chance to introduce who you are. I think a lot of teachers know of REC, but maybe not necessarily you. Do you mind introducing who you are, what you do? Sure. Um, first of all, thank you for for having us here. Your, your audience uh, is very similar to what we try to connect to at the REC Foundation. So my name, as you said, is Dan Mance. I'm the CEO. Um, my background is actually in robotics, industrial robotics. I spent over 20 years at Fanuc Robotics in Michigan, uh, starting as an engineer, uh, eventually becoming a project manager, and then ultimately um, director of product development, uh, where I ran a team of mechanical, electrical, and application engineers, and we developed industrial robots. And I've always had a passion for robotics. Uh, my career brought me to Texas uh, a little over eight years ago. Um, um, I first came to Texas to run a company called Rack Solutions, which manufactured uh, data center products. Uh, we've mm-hmm. all heard about the cloud now, and, and Rack Solutions was a, a U.S.-based manufacturer um, and solutions provider for data center products. And while I was down here, um, I went full circle on my passion for robotics and started coaching robotics. And in the process of coaching robotics, I had a lot of suggestions to my good friend, Paul Copioli, who was president of Vex Robotics at the time. Mm -hmm. So Paul asked me to join the board and I'd been on the board for a, for a half a year or so. And uh, I had some thoughts on how the REC foundation can make a bigger impact. And so the board uh, voted me as CEO and it's literally been uh, four years and a month ago. So I've been with the REC foundation for four years and a month. Um, you know, we're most known for the competitions that we run, um, but we yeah. also have some, some very strong education programs, too. You know, we're trying to inspire the next generation of, of STEM professionals. Um, but more than that, we're also trying to um, make sure that students are prepared for the workforce. And so we're more than just STEM and future engineers and technicians. We also have programs focused on giving all students an opportunity to fill those high paying STEM jobs that are out there. There's lots of STEM jobs that aren't engineering and science. And the example that I use the most is a robotics operator uh, or a robotics maintenance person in a manufacturing plant, right? They don't necessarily have to have a four or even a two year degree, um, but it is a technical job. It's a hands-on job. It's definitely a, a STEM job. And the people that have those jobs are high in demand um, and have a very good career. And a lot of time those jobs um, are with companies that pay for them to get uh, associate's degrees and bachelor degrees too. So it's really a win-win. So entry-level robotics positions are a great way to make a good living and still ultimately have your education paid for and become the next engineers and technicians and et cetera. So that's what the REC Foundation does is, is we work hard to give students across the globe the opportunity 
Um, we're in over 70 countries. I think we're close to 80 now. Uh, and before the, the global situation, we actually um, were close to 30,000 teams globally. And our impact is over a million students between our competition programs and our education programs. Wow. So especially in this last year of all this remote work and and you had these virtual competitions, how's it all been going for you doing this education and robotics competition stuff uh, in this new era? Yeah, it has been a new era. And I can't say I'm, I can't say with enough emotion how proud I am of our organization and how proud I am of our community, um, especially the teachers and coaches that persevered. Um, but to go back, I think we anticipated, you know, in late, I don't want to say late 2019, but definitely January of 2020, we anticipated mm -hmm. something dramatic was happening. And we actually, as a foundation, stepped back and said, how are we going to adapt? And for us, we're a year-round program. Um, so when things really started getting um, bad at the end of February, we were approximately 90% through our season already, our competition season. And then that way, we were very fortunate. But we did have to make the, the decision to cancel our world championship, which was scheduled for April of 2020. But we did have a celebration. And at the end of the day, I think we ran almost like 95 or 96% of our competitions including almost all our state and national championships. There's a few states that didn't get to complete the season, but overall we did pretty well. But we at that point realized that this, this global pandemic was not going to go away. So literally in July of 2020, we said, how can we still have a season? And we didn't want to go virtual. We didn't want to just um, have people create you know, virtual robots. We feel that in our program, building a robot and communicating with um, other teams and, and competing against other teams, those soft skills that you develop um, through problem solving and troubleshooting and communications are as equally important as the technical skills. Um, we decided to invest in what we call live remote tournament. And so while we were fortunate um, that we did have states and some countries that were able to participate with in-person events, most of our program went remote. And basically this technology that we developed is any uh, team that had a field, we did have a limitation that you needed to have a field and you had to have that year's game elements. But with a simple computer and a simple camera, we would connect you to other teams to play with and against. So we actually changed our um, game so that we could make sure that you could still score even though you weren't on the same field and you still had that challenge. And so by the end of the season, we had teams in 35 countries competing in 49 of the 50 states. Um, we ran tens of thousands of matches and, and uh, mm -hmm. hundreds of competitions. And we actually culminated with our world championship in May um, where we had 32 countries represented and we had uh, – uh, 1,700 teams that competed, and they competed with real robots um, and real fields. So it was a remote competition, not a virtual. Now, I want to cl clarify, too, that we knew not everybody was going to have that um, opportunity to have a place to compete. So we did develop virtual programs and online programs that were more educational focused. And I think the biggest impact was the VexCode VR platform. Um, where over a million um, unique users have learned how to program 
using, you know, virtual VEX robots. So we did have the virtual component, but the core part of our program of building a robot and competing, we were able to keep. They were still staying hands-on for the most part. A lot of students across the world were building it, uh, working with their own local teams, you're saying? Exactly. And, and one of the most fascinating parts of it is if a school was shut down and you couldn't meet at the school, people opened up their basements and living rooms and local community centers. One of my most fascinating parts of our VEX Robotics World Championship and we called it the Live Remote Vex Robotics World Championship. And it was it was sponsored by Northrop Grumman Foundation, who stood by us the entire um, pandemic and made sure that we could still offer our programs. Um, but what was really amazing is you saw these fields set up everywhere. Even in our finals, there was a team that was in a basement, a team that was in the garage, a team in the living room, and then some of the teams were set up in their schools. So we really provided a platform for students to stay engaged. And what you said is really important. We believe on hands-on project-based instruction, right? So the students were able to, to build and compete. We felt that was very, very important. And we've had so many, and I'm not exaggerating, hundreds of letters from educators thanking us because we were the distraction that they needed because it was mm. still hands-on mm-hmm. and they got a chance to build. It was the highlight of the of being, you know, kind of shut in a little bit is that they could still do robots and they and the community really responded. And so how did you modify that challenge this year to make it work for for your online platform? I'm imagining like Zoom for robots, but how did the competition go? How could how did you have to modify it? Yeah, so so we kept the same field, we kept the same robot rules as far as the size of the robot. Um, we even added online judging. So judging is a part of our program because we feel that students doing a design notebook, which is a core principle of the REC Foundation, is you do a design notebook mm-hmm. and presenting that notebook and interviewing. So we did all that, but that was all remote. So we had hundreds of judges across the world that volunteered to judge these students. And that was remotely using Zoom or, or similar platforms, right? Um, but for the robot side, the biggest challenge was this year's game for high school in particular was a back and forth game, right? So a back and forth game means you have four robots fighting for scoring and de-scoring. And so what we did is we kept the same game elements. We didn't want to change the parts that the students and, and coaches had already purchased, but we added different aspects like a higher scoring total, an end game where you could multiply your score. And we still made it that you had to collaborate with the team that you were playing and you had to understand the strategy of the teams you were competing against. Matter of fact, our world champion robots mastered the strategy. They could see within the first 30 seconds what the teams they were competing against were doing and they had a strategy. So while they had an amazing outstanding robots, our world championships, did they really want on strategy? So that was important for us to still keep a strategic. So basically our GDC, which stands for Game Design Committee, worked tireless hours to find a new way to, to play our game using the same field and game elements, but with a different scoring strategy. Now, we're very fortunate that in our elementary and middle school programs, our VEX IQ programs, the game was kind of already set up that it was really easy to play remotely, right? It was kind of like a tic-tac-toe stacking game. So literally, mm-hmm. we just mm-hmm. took a third of the components off the field for each team um, so that they um, would have to collaborate to do tic-tac-toe, right? And that worked out really well for our elementary and middle school program. Oh, that's cool. You basically make it harder the older the kids are, right? There's an autonomous component, right, for the Absolutely. oldest kids? 
Well, one of the things, and I, I, I'm super excited that the engineering um, and the educators listen to this, is the REC Foundation program isn't just the competition. And, and it was interesting. I'd been with the REC Foundation for a year where it really hit me that we hadn't been promoting it. So we actually are three competitions in one. So we have our standard competition, which is an elementary, middle school, it's two robots working together. They're not competing against each other, but they're working together uh, to accomplish the tasks for a high score. But in our high school and advanced middle school programs, our VRC program, it is a competition where um, it's 2v2, right? Um, mm-hmm. So that's the part that we're known of. But um, in, in that competition, we start with a 15-second autonomous. But we also have both in our IQ and VRC programs, we have driver skills and programming skills. So the driver skills is one robot on the field to maximize their score. And that's really about your mechanical design, your programming and your driver skills, right? So it's you against the field. Um, mm-hmm. But the, the most interesting program and the, the highest growth is our programming skills, where it's again, it's the robot, but you don't drive it. So it's one robot on the field and you program it to maximize. And if there's one thing that came out of COVID that was actually really, really good as I think our teams with their extra time really <laughs> maximized their programming skills. The programming that we saw this year was the better than in the history of the REC Foundation. Oh, wow. So teams really utilized that time that they were, quote, shut in to really work on programming. So our autonomous programming challenges had the highest scores that we ever had, and teams were actually maxing out. And we had to add what's called a stop time. So if you were maxing out, which we'd rarely seen in the history of the REC Foundation, now it was like, did you get your skills done in, you know, a minute and 55 seconds or a minute 50, right? Instead of just did what was the highest score. So, so students and educators and parent mentors really adapted um, to, to focus. And again, a, a huge shout out to Vex Robotics for providing these free education programming resources too. It was, it was amazing how they stepped up to give the community free resources to work on programming. Yeah, and and just to mention that I know that REC does work closely with Vex, correct? Like they sponsor a lot of the the competitions, and they're part of the educational programs. A- absolutely. So, so the, you know, the Robotics Education and Competition Foundation, we are a separate entity. You know, we are our own five hundred one c three, the nonprofit or, side, or a not for profit, exactly. But okay. people sometimes think that we're Vex. We're not Vex, but we do collaborate very, very closely. Matter of fact. The game um, um, that we design every year is a joint effort between Vex Robotics and the REC Foundation. Okay. Um, but the beauty of our relationship, you know, I really consider it a partnership with, with Vex is, for example, we can go to them and say, we think we need more sensors. And we tell them why. And, and Vex develops, you know, great sensors for us to use. And then they come to us and they say, What's the needs? Um, what's the what's the trend? And we can say, hey, there's a trend towards workforce development, or there's a trend towards um, more computer science, and they develop great educational materials. So for people out there that don't know who the REC Foundation is and think we're Vex, we're not Vex. Vex is a product company, but they're probably the top. I think the top um, product company out there for education for STEM education. I've been hearing it a lot. I mean, there's lots of robotics companies and platforms, but for sure, Vex, at least here yeah. in Texas, I know that they're yeah. used a lot. Um, actually, related to that, I know that you mentioned one of the missions of, of REC is to provide lots of kids, more kids, hands-on experience. I also understand part of the mission is to increase access, I guess, to that education. How do you make robotics education more accessible, more affordable? Because we know robots take up a lot of space. They cost a lot of money. You know, you need a coach. 
what have you learned, I guess, as part of REC about how to spread robotics education to all the kids who, who could benefit from it? Yeah, you know, that's a great, great question. And there's so many good STEM programs out there and other robotics programs out there. Um, but we do it a little bit different. And I think one way that we do it is um, we have a kit of parts that we start with. Now, of course, you know, top teams add parts and do things like that. But to level the playing field, um, we make sure that every team from your most rural team to your most advanced team, they all start with the same platform, right? And we think that's really, really important to have a level playing field. The other thing that we do is we are very, very student-centered. Um, there's other organizations out there um, that encourage engineers um, to help design and build. We actually do the opposite. We want our mentors to facilitate um, and instruct and, and mentor, you know, and we want the students to do the work. So we have a very strong student-centered policy. Um, it's actually color-coded. It's like red, yellow, green to say, you know, what level of guidance you should be giving. So if you're doing the work, that's a red. If you're giving straight design, you know, but there's a purpose to it, that's a yellow. When the students are doing the work themselves, the brainstorming, that's a green, right? So we provide that guide to our coaches, mentors, and our students. So we're very student-centered. But because of that, um, we also need to make sure that the resources are there. So we like to pride ourselves that in our program, teachers can be really, really great coaches. You don't need engineering mentors or computer science mentors. They're welcome, and we have a lot of them, but we also want to make sure that, that school teachers can do it. So therefore, we provide lots and lots of resources for free online. So mm. one of my favorite resources is the knowledge base. So in the knowledge base, the one I always show everybody if I give a presentation is gears, right? We literally show um, using the VEX parts, different gear ratios and how certain configurations are for speed and some are for torque and power and stuff like that. And we have STEM labs and knowledge base articles on different types of chassis of robots, right? And different lifting mechanisms and stuff like that. So all those resources are available either with our knowledge base or our free STEM labs, which actually provide lessons on how to build these robots so that teachers are comfortable teaching robotics. Um, there's other organizations out there that the teachers are like, this is too complicated. Um, so we, with, with the standard base product line for everybody, that levels the playing field from a cost basis. Um, and then we provide the free educator resources. And then we also have something unique too, where the REC Foundation, you know, pre-COVID, we were running 3,000 competitions a year. Well, it's impossible for my staff of 50 full-time employees and 30 part-time employees to run 3,000 competitions. So we have a huge network of event partners that actually run the competitions on our behalf. So we're kind of like overseeing it. Think of the Little League model, right, where you have Little League in the U.S., but, you know, there's Little League teams that have their own coaches. Very community-based. It's community-based or school-based. And the thing is the event partners keep the revenue from running their events. So – um, this model works really, really well. The average price for a team to compete in an event is only $55 across the U.S., and that's actually skewed a little bit by, from, by some higher-cost states. Um, but the event partners keep the revenue, and because the model to compete is – the pricing model is so low, teams in our program compete an average of over four times. It's not just one competition and you're done. Um, it's There's an incentive. We have teams that compete as many as 12 times in a season – and that's part of our philosophy. We strongly believe in the engineering design process. Uh, we actually encourage teams to try things and fail. 
So that model of having event partners run the competitions and keep the revenue and do the judging allows us to have more competitions. You know, any of your audience can go to roboticseducation.org and see all the events across the U.S. And those students now can build robots. They think they have a great robot, right? And they show up and there's somebody better that inspires them to go back yeah. to the design notebook, um, see what they've learned and innovate. Um, and innovate and innovate. That's what we like about our program is it really shows innovation. And then our community perseveres, right? They, through this pandemic, um, they found ways to still meet, to still learn programming and a way to compete. So Mm. um, it's a very, uh, it's the model is much different than other programs out there because we try to keep the entry level, not just from a cost perspective, even though the affordability of our program is very, very low, but also from the accessibility. As a matter of fact, I, I actually stress the accessibility more than even the affordability that um, teachers and parents can actually be coaches in our program. Mm. So if uh, if any teacher doesn't have to be, you know, an engineering teacher, but an English teacher, an art teacher, if any educator or parent can do this and they're thinking about it, can they see competitions now online in this age of COVID or can they like see somewhere to see, experience what it's like? Absolutely. So last year we recorded 100% of our matches. Um, so of course last year, you know, was LRT, our live remote tournament, all those matches were recorded. Um, mm. So if they go to our YouTube channel, they can find matches. And of course, there's lots of video from previous Vex Robotics World Championships up there, the in-person events. So you can go to our YouTube channel. Um, again, you can go to roboticseducation.org and navigate our site. Uh, and you can also go to the Vex Robotics site too. Vex Robotics site also has links to robotics education um, and they have their own materials also. And, and for the students, the, the, the listeners out there, it says, eh, robotics isn't for me. Um, that's one of the things we realized too, is that while robotics, our program and the other robotics programs out there reach you know, a decent percentage of students, there are students and parents that aren't interested in this. So the Robotics Education and Competition Foundation, we launched a drones program a couple of years ago you know, another option for students. So we have drones programs um, and that they can look those up. And we also have a new uh, manufacturing program where students build uh, an actual five axis robot, like an industrial robot, Mm -hmm. and they build conveyor systems and the challenges progress. It's It's a combination of 12 steps. And think of about like an Amazon or a Walmart distribution center. You're basically start by handling one package. And by the end, you're sorting packages and you're trying to maximize your throughput. And then finally, for those students and teachers that want to start a little bit simpler, we have online challenges, which are STEM focused um, and, and things like that, too. So there's there's a little bit of something for everybody. But, you know, Vex Robotics is, is our is our largest program by far. But we do have drones um, manufacturing, we call it a factory, factory automation competition. And again, our online challenges. That's cool. And I'll put links to that in the show notes if anyone wants to save a little bit of Googling time. But actually that reminds me that what you're saying sounds a lot like maybe your history at FANUC and other places. (laughs) Do you use the stuff that you used to work on at REC? We don't use panic stuff, but so so a true story is when um, when the board asked if I would join the REC Foundation as CEO, um, I had a, I had one major request: is I really wanted to for, focus on workforce development, and I had this idea of 
you know, seeing what I had done at 20 years at FANUC and miniaturizing it, right, and, and mm-hmm. making it into an education program that culminated, we call it a competition, but it's really kind of like a capstone project. You're taking everything you learned through the education, you're putting it all together, and it's a challenge to see, you know, how fast you can sort and stack these parts now, right? And that inspiration came from my 20 years in industrial robotics, without a doubt. And and my one request to the board when I joined the REC Foundation is to um, is to be able to come up with a, a product and a program that that made that accessible for students everywhere. And, and we were very fortunate that the Advanced Robotics and Manufacturing uh, not-for-profit out of Pittsburgh um, believed in the vision, and, and they gave us some funding to help launch it. Hmm. Um, but uh, we launched that last year. Um, you know, obviously with what was going on in the world, we had a limited amount, but um, we started promoting that that program just a couple months ago, and it's taking off like skyrockets. It's just amazing that so many CTE programs, not necessarily STEM programs, but CTE programs think this is a way to get that skill set to their students. So mm-hmm. I highly encourage the educators out there that, you know, are interested in robotics, look at our robotics. But if you're a CTE focus, please take a look at the uh, at the V5 work cell and our factory automation competition. I think it's a, a great program and exactly what we need in the U.S. right now. I think that's really interesting that you're thinking about workforce development because Previous to talking to you, I was thinking about how in a lot of these high-tech industries today, you always have news stories or you hear about CEOs where you want them to think about how their industry is affecting society. And it made me think before talking to you, like, do you wonder about if robotics is going to displace workers the way they say that about um, tech industry stuff today? I mean, do you have to think about these big, broad societal questions? And I, I don't even know if I'm asking a question. But no, basically- you are, because it's interesting because um, that is the question I'm asked the most ah. uh, when I when I, I have the opportunity. And, and just so you know, I'm an engineer, right? I'm by yeah. trade, I'm an introverted engineer. I never thought I'd be traveling the world, giving speeches and trying to inspire students to pursue STEM careers and technical workforce paths. Right? That was not what I would have suspected five years ago, but I find myself having this opportunity. So I do get a chance to travel and explain what we're trying to do. And the number one question I'm asked is, aren't you worried about uh, robots displacing humans and working? And, and I think anybody that's asked that question has our canned answers, right? But I, I think I try to take a pragmatic um, mm-hmm. you know, robots will displace workers in some jobs. You can't argue against that. You know, when right, I they already at, have. Yeah, it already has. When I was at Fanuc, um, our paint robots that we developed had displaced very dirty, dangerous jobs, right? And, and robots displace very monotonous jobs. But it's proven statistically that the jobs that are replaced are replaced with high-tech, higher-paying jobs, right? So you might get rid of a few people that were doing some manual, but someone has to run that robot and maintain that robot. So does it eliminate jobs? Absolutely. But that creates new types of jobs. And frankly, it keeps those countries more competitive too. But I also have this utopian view where, you know, as we rely and we add more automation, that it increases our, you know, lifestyle in a sense, you know, less people are getting hurt, People are exhausted from working these very manual jobs, and it gives us more energy to pursue other activities too, whether it's music or art or you know recreation. 
And, you know, it, it, maybe it's a little pragmatic or, or too utopian, but, you know, I, I'm hoping that as we become more and more advanced as a society, maybe it leads to the next renaissance too, right? So yeah. um, <laughs> I usually don't get a chance to, to talk about that, but uh, I, it's the number one question that I'm asked as I travel is, aren't you worried about uh, robots, you know, eliminating jobs? And the fact of the matter is it is eliminating jobs, but it's creating new jobs and hopefully it's improving our lifestyle. You give an argument for also getting those history teachers and art teachers becoming the robotics coaches so we can mix up the, the knowledge here about I, that stuff. I, I never thought about that anymore. I might use that as a recruiting tool for no, for more coaches. I think that'd be cool. Yeah, <laughs> Coach a student in robotics and uh, he'll become a, um, and, and create the next sculpture in the future, right? Yeah, why not? Um, do you have a favorite robot you've ever seen, whether it's from the students competing or even all the way back as an engineer? since you've seen a lot of robots? Um, I do, actually. I've never, ever been asked this question. So from my professional career, um, I was part of a development. Um, we called it the Manhattan Project. But uh, um, and this is where I got to know Paul Copioli, the former president of VEX, is he and I mm -hmm. were the leads on a robot called the P500. And it was a robot, a very simple robot that was designed to paint the outside of cars. And it was mm -hmm. revolutionary. And it literally created a new market segment that didn't exist. At that time, um, cars were either painted by very complex robots or by stationary bell machines that wasted a lot of paint. And paint's the most expensive component of a car. So I'm going in the weeds a little bit, but we literally developed this system that with four simple robots could do what used to take 12 bell systems to do or multiple axis robots to do. And, I, and I'm actually looking at a poster of it in my office right now. So from a, that, I mean, I'm obviously I'm tied to it. Um, I'm on the patent for that robot, but that's my favorite industrial robot of all time. Awesome. From a competition aspect, I always like those students that look at the challenge from a completely different angle. So if the idea is to shoot balls, we have a gazillion teams out there that develop really efficient intake systems and shooting mechanisms but I like that, that team that says, we're not going to be the best shooter or the best intake, but we're going to be the def best defense robot. So we're going to score and then we're going to keep you from scoring. So those are the robots that always make me smile every year that looked at the challenge differently than, than the middle of the bell curve, right? They found a different solution. So, and I also took to the students out there that might be listening, I love you students that add your color too, right? So um, VEX is very generous that, um, you know, the standard parts tend to be gray or black and stuff like that, but you can buy colored parts and, um, and teams will build robots with a theme and those always make me smile. That's awesome. Yeah, no, I, I'm always a fan of those things. I was the type of, of kid who watched that Comedy Central uh, robot wars all the time. I don't know if you did, but yeah, I did. Yeah. So, so I'm a fan of looking at robots. I actually have, have an old coworker, I think who worked with your favorite paint robot, uh, in South Texas. She, uh, she helped program them and, and helped paint cars, I think. Oh, so, was she at, uh, was she at the Arlington plant or? Uh, I, I, I don't know which yeah. one exactly. I, I just have to ask her now. It's been a yeah. while since she spoke now, about if, it. If you Google the P500, it's, it doesn't look like a lot of robots that you've seen, but it was so innovative for its time. And it literally created a new market segment. And I'm, I'm, I'm really proud that I was part of that, right? No, that, so, that's that was, so awesome. I had no idea. And yeah. actually, before we go, I have to say that in my old job, uh, we were making knee implants, and a big deal back then was having those robot arms, not for spraying paint, but for helping grind down the really precise contours of yeah. this piece of metal that was supposed to 
represent your bone. And it's like, it's so cool that um, you can combine AI with these robots to, to make something so complex. Yeah. We, it's interesting because obviously this is a, a 30 minute podcast, but we, one of the things we launched is our new AI program too. So, Oh yes, I saw that. I don't know yeah, if you want to talk about that real quick too. Yeah. So, so one of the other things about what the REC foundation did during the pandemic is um, we use that as an opportunity where we weren't traveling as much and, and we were more working from home or from our office yeah. in Greenville, Texas. And we launched a couple new programs. And one that I'm really excited about is our VEX AI competition. And in this competition, uh, students both at high school or at the university level, they have a lot more freedom in the parts that they use. They can 3D print parts, um, but there's no driving involved. It's the robot has a GPS sensor and cameras, and they literally um, are using the cameras and sensors to find out where they are in the field, where game elements are, where the competitive robots are. And they go and find the parts and they score it. And it's heavy in programming and it's a brand new program. And we launched it as a pilot this year with just 60 teams. Mm -hmm. But we're uh, back in June, we actually had our first uh, championship event for the VEX AI competition. And it's going to be amazing. It's going to really elevate to that next level for those students that really want the ultimate challenge or universities that want a, a very cost effective way to teach AI. And then we also feel that STEM needs to start earlier, too. So we launched our VEX Go um, product and competition, and that's geared towards the middle elementary students. And I didn't want it to be programming focused, right? I felt it's really important that students build. So the VEX Go product, you start by building and you replace different gears and different wheels and you learn. It's kind of actually a great physics lesson. You don't even realize you're learning physics. And then you add power but it's not programming. It's a battery pack with powered motors and you kind of rebuild using motors and you compare it to like a crank. And then finally, when you've done all those lessons, then you add programming. And I think that this is a really exciting way to introduce um, students in third and fourth grade to robotics and STEM before their preconceptions take hold on what, what science is, right? So the REC Foundation was very, very busy um, this past year, not only finding a way for our, our program to have competitions, but also to launch new programs to bring more students into our, our ecosystem. Fantastic. Thanks, Dan. And I guess once more, if people want to learn more about any of that, they can just go to the REC website. Is that the best yeah, place yeah. to go? The okay. best way to do it is go to the REC Foundation website, which is roboticseducation.org. It's uh, uh, we, we don't own RECF yet, but uh, roboticseducation.org. And for those um, in the audience that are familiar with VEX, of course, if you go to VEX Robotics website, um, there's always links to both their products and our competition pages too. Dan, thank you so much for joining me today. It really was interesting hearing everything that you have done and are doing. Great. And again, thanks for, for having me. And, and thanks for all that you're doing um, to help develop that community of oh, you know, engineers all. and educators and parents to get their mindset into thinking about engineering. That was Dan Mance, CEO of the REC Foundation. Find links to REC and more in the show notes. Also check out photos of several fantastic competition robots and their student builders from this year at the podcast website, k12engineering.net. The K12 Engineering Education Podcast comes from my creative studio, 
Pios Labs in Austin, Texas. At Pios Labs, I make podcasts, program educational technology, train professionals in engineering and education, and more. Follow Pios Labs all over the internet to stay updated. That's P-I-O-S-L-A-B-S. Thank you to the wonderful listeners donating to this show. I literally cannot do it without your support. Your funds help me put up transcripts, host the website, research guests, and so much more. You're the best. You can donate too on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash pioslabs. And as always, please leave a rating for the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. That'll help spread the show and tell the internet you care about engineering education. Muchas gracias, listener. And until next time. Hey, it's Pius. Did you know that The Engineer's Guide to Improv and Art Games has been recently updated? That's right. I wrote that reference book slash curriculum guide about how to improve your engineering skills using the power of improv. I wrote it a little while ago, and it now has an audiobook version to go with it. So if you prefer listening to me describe my personal favorite improv games of Convergence and Exquisite Corpses... Uh, If you want to listen to it rather than read about it, you can, or you can switch back and forth. They are all available on Amazon. You can also find the audiobook on Audible, on Apple. You can find the the ebook on like Barnes and Noble and Amazon, all those places. So go look for the Engineer's Guide to Improv and Art Games, especially the audiobook, to find out more.